Hello, I'm Chris Plum, head coach and CEO of Carmel Swim Club. This is the Off the Deck Podcast with Chris Webb, Part 2. Let's kind of switch gears to, sure. you know, how do you think, uh, you know, we're talking about swim lessons and saving lives and, you know, the beginnings of the sport. What do you think that that young people, the young athletes, what do they really need to learn when they're six, seven, eight, both on land and in the water? Mm -hmm. Well, I mean, if we're going to go back to water safety and some stuff like that, I mean, I think, you know, in the community that I grew up in, uh, outside of Monroe, a place called Garden City, and we had a pretty mixed um, racial community there. Uh, and, you know, where I grew up in the East, all, every neighborhood has a community pool in it. Uh, and the pool is a very popular place to be. Uh, swimming, swimming was a very popular thing to do. And our little summer league team was a very popular thing. I think that the younger that you become, the younger that you become comfortable around the edges of the water, you know, it just makes a super huge difference. So I know in our community, because the swim team in the summer was such a popular thing to do, um, and my father made it, my, my father made it so it was so affordable, almost $0 to be able to do it in the summer it was an introduction to a lot of people. Um, and I think that those things have like a compounding effect. So, you know, getting involved in your local community, as far as the summer leagues go and that type of stuff, uh, if that's available, that changes everything, you know, and being able to find a place where you can get cr uh, quality quality teaching um, from a swim school that has a funnel or has a way into some team swimming. I think that that is the best grassroots method still going that I see for um, being successful in the sport is honestly really, really good experience around the introduction to water and water safety. So I don't know, maybe I went a little too far back on that answering that question, but that's, that's how I feel as a, you know, having been a head, uh, being a swim coach for 20 years. So we take our people when they, when they get in the water um, and they talk about, you know, float and mm -hmm. kick and mm -hmm. roll and reach. And then we kind of do some more stuff on land with crawling and moving and mm -hmm. awareness running, skipping, throwing, hopping, mm -hmm. jumping, right? So do you see the parallels between being able to move your body on land at a young age and then how can that help them become better athletes in the water and more and maybe adaptable or easier to learn how to move better in the water? Do you see that correlation? I mean, I I would like to say that I I see direct correlation in there. And I'd say sometimes you definitely do see a direct correlation between someone who's a better athlete on land and someone who can move. There is definitely some still some, I would say, mystery or almost uh, magical uh, ability of some people when they get into the fluid, they move like a water-based animal. They, they move like a fish. They move like a squid. They can just flow with the water. 
water flows and they flow. And it's, it's a very natural, when you look, it appears to be natural. The only thing natural about water in a human is that we're born in embryonic fluid. And we're, we, our first thing is to come out of water and, you know, we're swimming in embryonic fluid for nine months. So our first experience uh, as a sentient being is, you know, inside fluid. If you drop a newborn child in the water, they'll paddle their hands. They'll paddle their hands and feet around because they just swam around for nine months. But that's not what that's not how we evolved. That's not how we were born. Unless you go back to, you know, vertebrate morphology when we came out as lizards. But um, I, I would say that there's a correlation to kids who move well and kids who can swim well because they can make shapes and kids who can make shapes and solve problems on land, they make shapes and solve problems in the water. And, you know, that's, that's really the foundation of all of this is being able to make all the shapes in the water and do it over and over and over again, repetitively. Um, and kids who have a robust movement vocabulary on land uh, end up being able to solve the problems in the water um, the same way. And, but like I said, there's a lot of the water, just the water gifted kids who never move that well on land. But if you can make them 1% better on land, it becomes, it appears to be an exponential uh, increase in durability, uh, less injuries, things like that. But if you were to boil it down to skills, you might say um, squat, lunge, push, pull, brace, and rotate on land. Uh, and then from there, you would have, you know, sports-specific foundational skills. Run, kick, throw, um, hit, hold, grab, those things like that. And then you might have water-specific skills that are very similar to that, which might be float, skull, roll, flow, uh, things like that. And then you would think about that in more stroke-specific, kick, pull, recover, uh, flip, dive, things like that. So I think that there's definitely, you can draw a pathway, but since it's not necessarily a straight line pathway, I mean, you can get off track pretty quick or there can be people, it doesn't necessarily become a linear progression from perfect land skills to water skills. Yeah, I, yeah, just, I just think, think there's a high, there's a high correlation, correlation, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. Um, so you, so take, you take, like, how do you get somebody better? Like, what would be an example of someone getting better on land and then having that correlation be to the water? I mean, I have a few ideas, but I'm interested to hear you. I mean, I mean, I, I, between like, oh, we're going to do this shape and then we're going to do this drill. Mm -hmm. I think, you know, one of the things that I see, and this is just off the top of my head, because I do think about this a decent amount. Uh, the couple that I, the few that I see that seem to uh, bear fruit is really someone who has really poor uh, thoracic flexion and extension uh, and helping someone increase the range of motion and their uh, thoracic flexion and extension, but looking at it from a total kinetic chain. So from fingernails, maybe all the way down to their hip and being able to get them to move a little bit better in that area translates. I've seen it translate from, uh, you know, just a few degrees extra flexion and extension into from a, from a butterfly that's really pretty pedestrian to, 
near national caliber uh, key positions in the catch and in the, you know, first kick, second kick, you know, um, wrists dry, hips high position. So uh, you can trend, you, you can very easily um, take some mobility positions like that and make it. I, I would also say I've seen people translate um, overhead squatting with a broomstick uh, and doing some things like that to being able to get a much better position, plant position on the wall um, in flip turning within a single session. Some of this stuff looks like magic in a single session. It really does, um, but it's not. Just body awareness and um, kinesthetic awareness. Yeah, I think that's the, the key there is like that kinesthetic awareness and actually it might be easier to manipulate somebody to make a change on land, but you kind of want that light bulb to go off between, oh, this is what it's supposed to feel like in the pool. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, the only way to do that is through integrated awareness. The only way to do that is to have your programs integrated. Uh, if your weight room or wherever you choose to do athletic development is a separate piece of what you do and you're doing that away from the pool, it's, it's in my opinion and what I see um, with a lot of the research, with skill acquisition, skill development. It also seems to fall in line with um, uh, fascia manipulation, mobility work, uh, the nervous system. And if you can do that work uh, integrated into a session, which is what we try to do at GAIN and what a lot of the clubs do, which is mobilizing, strengthening, lengthening on land and then putting it into the pool and making sure there's a clean, um, progressive intent with how you do it in the water and then doing it again, climbing out on land again, taking a look at where the restrictions might be or where, where land postures are going to relate to the water postures and immediately doing it in the water uh, intra-workout as part of the practice seems to be the best place for you know this type of thing to happen not that it doesn't happen from the weight room to the water but it certainly isn't fast and sometimes it seems to be even you know um random if you're able to keep those ideas it doesn't seem to have a good land to water connection or good what people might call uh you know transfer of skill transfer yeah, I think one of the biggest things I've seen, uh, too, is just that breaststroke change, being able to overhead squat um, mm -hmm. the hip. Um, you know, talk about how important that mobility of the hip and what you can acquire on land to having that equal to like better breaststroke. Yeah, I mean, I think that one thing we did wrong in the maybe in the 70s and 80s, and I'd have to take a closer look at this, but just they one thing in the wrong in 70s and 80s. <laughs> Yeah, well, probably. I'm just specifically about breaststroke. They did a lot right, man. They did a lot right, you know. Yeah. No one ever likes to talk about that. Uh, focus too much on the knees. Hmm. Um, you know, if you go up the kinetic chain, stable, mobile, stable, mobile, you know, you know the ankle, ankle mobility and hip mobility, if you can get a couple degrees out of your hip, remember how that couple degrees in the hip of freedom – translates all the way down to the distal, you know, down to the foot. And that can create just enough that you can become, you know, you can go to world-class 
level key positions in breaststroke with uh, unlocking the hip mobility and you know the greater hip mobility you have the less lower back injuries you have which tends to be a place where swimmers take hits is in the lower back and it seems to also relieve knee pain um you know same same thing with the ankle you know being able to have your big you know your big toe be a little bit more flexible and mobile uh, and having your ankle function uh, not only be a flexible joint but also have great what Vern might call most stability the the best combination of stability and mobility together i mean that that, that makes a huge difference and, and you know, we're not going to end up with all these uh, you know i work with a world class I, I work at the USA Swim Academy in Fort Collins with um, Susan Vonderlippe, formerly Sue Rapp, who's Olympic gold and silver medalist in breaststroke. And, you know, the knees, the knees on our on our breaststroke uh, legends, they're not so great. And I, I think that um, we're, we're getting past that because we're understanding that the hip has a much larger role to play in what's happening in breaststroke kick. Yeah, those are great points. Um you know, I want to kind of get back to the relationship side mm-hmm. of things here. You know, you've worked, obviously now you're, you're involved in gain. You're working with a lot of coaches. Mm-hmm. You've been on a lot of pool decks. You've seen some of the best. So what are, what are maybe two or three commonalities you've seen from the great coaches across the country? And I know you've worked with even some in the, in the world. Yeah, I mean, that's a great question. I mean, I'd like to say that when I go there, I start writing down, you know, like, you know, always taking notes or, you know, looking for that. There are definitely some people who are super curious, um, you know, and they're always looking for these. I mean, you you can go into the, the bookstore and it's filled with, you know, diagnoses or the five keys of great leaders and, um My opinion is that uh, most of these people um, who run great programs and are great coaches, um, they have a particular skill. And just to not to be redundant on the conversation that we've had, but they're damn good at a handful of things. And Limited, they, would you say? I said they're damn good at a handful of things. I know, but would you say that it would be like they're great at a small amount or yeah, yeah, okay. They appear to be absolute savants in a few areas, whether it's relationships or whether it's physiology or whether it's, um, you know, organization or whatever it is, they appear to be absolutely better than anybody else in those handful of things. Um, and they've done a fantastic job of creating programs around their strengths. And if sometimes they've complimented themselves well, sometimes they haven't complimented themselves well. Typically, when their staffs or whatever's going on is not very complimentary, they seem to struggle. And when they have, the, when they have that formula right, they, they do a fantastic job. Um, the other thing I... You know, I'd like to say, you know, every one of the head coaches that I've seen at successful programs, you know, that, uh, you know, it's all about teamwork and it's all about this. And it, frankly, it's just different. I feel like the people who are successful, they know 
they know what they're good at and they do it and they're, unap they're unapologetically passionate about what they do, unapologetically, unapologetically passionate and unapologetically hardworking, you know, ferociously working towards a goal. They always have a vision what their programs, what they what they want their program to be and they know what they don't want their program to be. And they're always unapologetically moving towards that, you know, and however it is, you know, they're, they're using that tool to have people gravitate towards them and, uh, you know, you know, get the job done. Um, some of it's through relationships, some of it's through great training, some of it's through, uh, you know, a bunch of different ways. Not, not everyone gets it done the same. And I don't think everyone likes to necessarily hear that answer, but, you know, they're, some smart people out there who work really hard and it still comes down to how much, do, you know, how much do you know, you know, and how much time and effort are you willing to put into this? And there's a lot of people who have a high threshold for hard work and they're putting in a lot of time. There's uh, no substitute for hard work. Is there Chris? Well, I mean, no, but I mean, I guess the smarter you are that, you know, unless you have to, I mean, there, there are some hard, you know, there are some hard realities um, in any profession that, that you're in. And, you know, I'd like to say that if I got up and spoke at a lecture that, you know, I, I that you'd be able to say, um, oh, yeah, you know, it, you know, we're just lucky to be here and. You know, I'm so, so happy and so blessed and do, you know, use all the humble, humble pieces of this. And, and that, that's how you want to, if you want to have a respectful um, and very, you know, congenial conversation with people, you know, that's how you want to start because that's a value that you want to being humble is, is a value that you, you want to be able to project. But, you know, some of the sharp swords of truth that poke you in your side are, uh, a couple things. One, some of the people who stand up and lecture and are some of the greats, they put they've put themselves in a position where athletes will land in their lap. Uh, they they but that's a that's a skill. The skill was that they knew how to put themselves in position to get great athletes. Some of them aren't even that great at coaching, you know. But their their skill is to put themselves and stay in a position, put themselves in it, stay in it, and always be receiving that. And that's a skill. Um, the other thing is, look, some people are just smarter and they're just they're they're better at this. And, you know, when you, I sometimes I feel like if you stand up in a lecture, and you just say, well, you know, we're really lucky and we worked hard. I mean, sometimes I just say BS, man. I, I'm up here because I dedicated my entire life to this. I made sure that I learned more than anybody else could possibly learn to, you know, to be up here. And sometimes that's the reality. And you're going to have to look at it and say, well, if I want to stand up there and give the lecture instead of receiving one, you know, I'm going to have to take a hard look at my skills and make sure that I'm putting in serious amounts of effort to wherever my strengths are so that I can get there. Um, so every once in a while, I think that we, we do a disservice to um, people by being diplomatic about how we got where we got, because Everybody has to get there a different way and pretending it's always just hard work or humble. Well, some people just, you know, someone with someone who's motivated and has an IQ of six billion, it's gonna be a little easier from the figure some of the stuff out than me. So I knew I had to, you know, I had to work harder because I wasn't as smart. 
Well, I think well, you're selling yourself, yourself a, a little, little bit short, short there, there, but, but um, you know, you know I, I, also, I get what you're, you're saying. saying. It's, it's kind of like, like you know, we fortune to give you RSTLNE, right? And like, let's get past. Hey, we know you're humble, and like, give me, give me. Give me past those reasons why you're good or, or give us give us the real stuff, right? Yeah. I mean, give me the real stuff. Give me the dirty stuff. And, yeah. you know, inside the sports gene with a David Epstein's book, I mean, that's one of the first times I've read that. And one of the first times I've read this, when I read that, it was so refreshing because everybody, you know, and some of this might come from the self-esteem movement, you know, which we know is a failure. You know, self-confidence is the most important thing. Self-esteem is like a, it's like a straw man, you know, just kind of hanging there, you know, in the wind. It, it, you know, a lot of that's like a lot of the books like talent is overrated and talent is never enough, you know, and they say that stuff. And that's a lot. Those, those are great, great feel good, try hard stories. But uh, same thing with the athletes, as we know, the dirty secret with the athletes is nothing beats genetics. You know, having the high level of genetics, it's impossible to beat. And the same thing is true in coaching. If you get someone who has the right predispositions for being great at coaching, whether it be the hard work or whatever it is, you know, those, those are things that you can't, you can't necessarily overcome without working tremendously hard uh, in the areas that you're good at. Um, you know, that's, that's like a tough, that's like a tough pill to swallow but, you know, if you're going to think that someone's predisposed to only being able to sleep for three hours and they can work for like 21 hours a day and, you know, because there are people there, there's a small percentage of people who only need between three and five hours of sleep a day, but it is very short. But what happens is you go on to the, you go on to Twitter or you go on this and you see Jocko, you see Jocko Willinks and he's up at three 30 in the morning and, and, and you're like, well, I have to do that. It's like, it's just not going to be, it's just not going to be that way. You know, it's like you get this FOMO or you see these incredible people and you try to emulate certain pieces of them, but that's not you. That's not your individual signature. So it's like you got to find your way to the top. So sometimes when we try to emulate these leaders, it's not realistic. Um, it's not realistic. Well, I, I'm going to push back a little bit. I think that the challenge there is it might not be realistic in the time frame that you want it to be. And I would agree there are some certainly genetic predispositions where somebody maybe in music or swimming or, you know, basketball, you're going to have to, you know, the average height is a certain way, but we can all learn the characteristics from people, but you have to also apply a certain timeline to it. And it just doesn't happen overnight. And I think you have to give yourself an appropriate amount of consistency, like we talked about, to learn and you know i think there's also a little bit of a paradigm shift in terms of because at the same time it used to be oh well that person just is that good naturally so i think there's a balance there between like saying up oh, you know they're six ten they're of course they're going to be you know the best basketball player in the world but we know that's not the case either so there's i think a, a balance there yeah i mean i think it is i mean i'm not going to say that i'm some kind of like biological determinist or something like that there's definitely room in the nurt in, in the nurture side of things. Uh, like I said, I, it, I have a very strong belief in my four S system, which is self confidence, self awareness, self reliance, and self acceptance. You know, and it's in that order. You know, for the reason that self confidence is on the top of the pyramid, but a lot of stuff comes down to you know 
confidence, awareness, because there's a lot of wiggle room in life. Once you from the time you're born to the time you die, it's a lot of wiggle room, you know, to 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 make change and make things happen. Um, you know, I believe in that, you know, and my pushback isn't that, you know, my, my push isn't that there isn't hope and there isn't things that we can change. You know, you know, there's a very popular book that people are fans of and the name of the book. And even I'm, I was a fan of it and I'm still kind of a fan of it conceptually, which is Carol Dweck's book called mindset. Yeah. Everyone's a very big believer in, in, in a lot of that stuff and coaches, especially swim coaches, track coaches, but there's a dirty little secret and I'll go on record as saying this. Uh, no one was able to recreate any of the experiments that Carol did. None of them have been able to be reproduced. And they've been tried. They've tried to reproduce those experiments multiple times. No one has ever been able to reproduce those. So as far as that book is concerned, there's no scientific consensus that any of the things that she wrote in that book are correct. So that's what I would just say, you know. All right. You heard it here. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of people who push back against that research. Like I said, and I'm not saying that those conceptually about growth mindset and fixed mindsets, uh, they're not great concepts. And it's not like you want to, like I said, it's not like you don't want to teach those, those ideas. I just don't want, for me, it's, I don't want anybody to think that, well, if I try hard enough, I can do anything in the world. Well, you're probably not jumping over the empire state building. You know, that's why I talk about self-awareness, how aware of you, and you're better off with, uh, you know, the concepts of self, uh, self-confidence, self-awareness, self-reliance, and self-acceptance, because those help you move towards your goals where you are in this current environment where, you know, everyone gets to see how high the mountain is now, you know, with social media, those FOMO concepts and things like that. I think that people can become discouraged with their individual places in the, you know, in the pantheon of, um, ideas and and things you're supposed to be able to do, you know, being comfortable in your own skin and knowing where you want to go and how you're going to get there and being aware of where you're strong and where you're not, uh, is important. I don't know. Just rambling now. (laughs) No, it's been a, it's been a great, enjoyed this conversation. Uh, we're going to finish with some fun, fast questions. Okay. Maybe, maybe they won't be fast, but, um, to wrap this up, uh, if you could pick anybody in history and we're assuming that they can kick, who would you like to do a social kick with? Assuming they can kick. And we're and just going to, we're going to make that assumption. That alive or dead? Yep. Anybody. Marcus Aurelius. Okay. What song would you least like to pop up during workout? Gold nearing radar love. Deep end or shallow, shallow end? Shallow. Perfect I am order. Wow. Um, it is the perfect I am. We're in the, it is perfect. Okay. Kickboard or no kickboard? No kickboard. Would you rather be in a pool that's too warm or too cold? Too cold. First or last in the lane? Last. And what would be your favorite Gatorade or Powerade flavor? Oh, that's easy. Gatorade had this flavor called Citrus Cooler forever. Oh, it's, yeah. the be- it's the best. It's the best. 
Thanks, Chris. This has been a lot of fun. Anything you want to uh, end with today? No, I mean, I'd just say thanks for having me on the podcast. If you're looking for more information about GAIN, you can find us at uh, thegainnetwork.com backslash swimming. Um, you can find us on social media. Just type in GAIN Swim. You'll find us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, LinkedIn. Um, yeah, we're going to be having a clinic uh, right here in Carmel, Indiana, coming this September, 10th through the 12th. Uh, there'll be um, more information coming out about that this very week. Um, and you know, like I said, follow your four S's, self-confidence, self, uh, self-awareness, self-reliance and self-acceptance, and you can't go wrong in life. And for you other squiggles out there, keep on moving. Keep on moving. All right. Thanks, Chris. Yep.